gentlemen, boys and girls, you are, of course, listening to The Men, Childian Candidate, where two men act their shoe size and not, in fact, their age. My name is G-Man, and I'm sitting across from the ever-effervescent P-Boss. How art thou, bro-bro? So good, my cousin. So good. Yes. Just trying to find the vibe within uh, the lockdown, um, you know, from where we're located. Now, bro, just before we begin, I'm curious... Mm. Like, what What do you, you know, I don't want to get too heavy and go, how are you going with all the lockdown? Because that's a little mm. bit boring. How are yeah. you harnessing the radness within lockdown? Oh, now, hey, hey, now there, there <laughs> we go. Now, that's how we spin that around, my dude. I like that's that. That's it, bro. Oh, look, I tell you what, to be brutally honest, I am absolutely killing it. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying my time so, so severely. And I've been launching myself, as a lot of us have been, I think, into, you know, some, you know, Real home, homely sort of stuff, and I've just bought a very expensive and new uh, gaming laptop, and I'm very excited by it. Tell us about it. I gotta tell you, oh my god, it's got all the RAM that you need. I tell you, it's got the graphics card that makes Methuselah wish that he was alive right now. In fact, he's probably on his way. But the thing is, like, I've got this powerful beast, right? And what I found I did was the first thing I got was um, Command and Conquer Remastered, which was originally released in 1995 as a real-time strategy game, the classic GDI versus Nod, and the Allies versus the Soviets in Red Alert. And I've been playing these, these derezzed, brilliant, beautiful games on the most cutting-edge thing you can imagine. So I don't know what that is, man, but there's sort of like, i got to say, the opening couple of levels of Command & Conquer to me, dude, are almost like my happy place. There's something yeah. about it. The music is incredible. The sounds are incredible. The Wilhelm scream is amongst the f- my favourite noises on the planet. It's there, and I'm loving it. Um, yeah. How are you harnessing your own radness, my bro? Well, man, it's so weird. I guess the reason I wanted to bring it up is in our own ways, we're doing uh, a similar thing. So, man, I've started playing Halo. So, the so the Master Chief Collection um, was was up for grabs. Um, I'm, I'm an Xbox guy. And, uh, I'm sorry to hear uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ah, come on. I jest. I jest. You're, you're funny. I jest. <laughs> um, that's a G. That, that episode is looming, isn't it? Where we isn't just it fight. Just- we just fire. Yep. 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 Gloves <laughs> off, my dude. Do you know? Do you know? We were having a turgid uh, discussion at work about these platforms once, and I left the room, and a and a senior person came up to me and went, "Oh, I'm just checking in. Are you guys like like Are you okay? It sounded like." And I and I sort of missed the cue, and I was like, "Well, you, I'm you, I'm not really because like he's a peanut. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't care about Xbox Gold. He's just really missing half the point. He doesn't care about the teraflops." <laughs> and this poor person's looking at me, going, "No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But are you okay? Do we need a mediator?" <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, no. <laughs> Probably should have called the mediator. Actually, to be honest with you, <laughs> look." Guys, stand five feet apart, all right, and have it out. That's it. Like, That's it. God. Yeah, get so your teraflops been... <laughs> out. So, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, dude, I, I, um, I started on Halo Combat Evolved, man, the original Halo, which they've kind of, you know, um, re redressed. Oh, and and I was, I often do my old man rant and talk about when games were smarter and. Dude, this is a breath of fresh air, and I can't stop playing it, man. I guess, again, I've said it before, it might be my age where I can tolerate visuals that aren't awesome. And, you know, it's strange playing a game where you can't go prone or you can't lean or anything like that. But, mate, the sound just 
it, it is is on point. There's a mm. tone and a weight and a reverb cousin to this to this game. Um, and yeah, really, what it brought me brought me to the same as you. Like it was just my happy place. Like it was yeah. like I yeah. spent so much time in this world and I loved it. But dude, the AI they kick your ass. Like, yeah, dude, it's, it's a smart it, game. Brother, it made me go. Why have we gone backwards with AI? Like, th- like multiple times. Obviously, I've cranked it up to heroic. That's called cool. just the kind of guy I am. But um, dude, like quite a few times, just <laughs> getting just my ass kicked. Look, and man, I, I got to say, like, I, I am not an Xbox guy, but Bungie, Halo developer absolutely knocked it out of the park and every other fps after halo wanted to be called something and it was the halo killer they were the tall poppy and they had the syndrome of just being the best and that is undeniable that was pinnacle yeah i will be said it's been furthered now and it's slightly better in certain elements but you can't take away the glory of that original seriously i'm with you there dude I'm oh, with dude. you there. That's in a Hall of Fame, man. Brother, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, like absolute Hall of Fame. You know, the the super overpowered pistol and it was just like, oh, oh my God, oh, bro. And the first time, stick your grenades, man. Stick a grenade to a little dude and watch him. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but just, just literally playing against an AI that flanks and goes, okay, yeah. I know what you're doing and fakes and yeah, tries how to, to retreat and draws yes, you into a trap. Yes, brother. And tries to, you know, dislodge you from your position. It's like, wow. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I've kind of gone a little retro on, man, is, uh, and I do think I've mentioned it in, in another episode, but I've started rewatching Stargate SG-1. Like, oh. deep cuts, my nerdy friends, but. <laughs> and it sort of it sort of put sent me on this tangent of just going, man, like I need stuff that's coming out in the future to be as good as this stuff. I <laughs> and yeah, it's I feel not you. always. Well, the source material for Stargate as a TV show is phenomenal. And what a what an absolute treat. Like the um, I think it was 1994, the Stargate came out with James Spader and uh, and my dearest dearest hero of all time kurt russell is my man totally like for them to be able to create how many seasons is that nine seasons of something like that and let let alone you know some of the offshoots you know atlantis and yeah exactly it's a phenomenal a phenomenal endeavor man i just well well done sir that's that's literature yeah, I'm concerned. Thank you, thank man. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank, thank you. you. Ah, no, I love I it. You'd get it, man. <laughs> I do. Now we're going to boil down to the crux of the uh, the issue here today. Please boil my crux down. I mentioned that um, you know P boss is an Xbox aficionado, and that's that's okay. You're allowed to do that. Yeah, we can get on, man. You know, we and we get do on. get on. But we're talking today, and this isn't the exact rivalry we're talking about, but rivalries. Ooh. Mm, what Segway, are bro. Segway. You like that? Oh, I've been, I rehearsed that in the shower this morning. It did not work. <laughs> I tell you, the shower one was heaps better. I'm so sorry, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about rivalries. And what do you think yes. of when you think of rivalries? There are many rivalries out there. And some include, I would think, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, yes. Apple versus PC, Huge. Edison versus Tesla, oh. um, Coca-Cola versus Pepsi. Wow. Um, there are a lot. Uh, things going on. Ferrari versus the other one because no one ever remembers because they won the rivalry. Yes. That's the way this goes. So we're going to be delving into a few pop culture rivalries this very day. VHS, sort of, beta. 
Exactly. VHS, DVD, Star you know, Trek, Star go. Wars, you know. That's right. Like, yeah, exactly. So we're going to launch a little bit in and um, try to understand what makes a really fantastic rivalry. Great. And is it down to the protagonist and the antagonist being polar opposites or Ooh. do they potentially complement one another and one cannot exist if not for the other? Interesting. So this is an interesting concept here. And I'd be very interested to know what you consider to be a classic rivalry or something that really summarizes what, you know, a pop culture rivalry might in fact be. I had to make a list because you and I, um, many thoughts spew forth when we when we kick open a topic like this. Um, but I, off the top of my head immediately, I just, I went James T. Kirk and Khan. Oh, oh, wow, oh, wow. You know, that's a classic dude. You know, for me, there was so many cool things about this re- relationship. Khan Noonien Singh, as he was known, um, you know, a genetically bred Superman produced in the late 20th century man in Earth's India. Just a just an interesting character, man. We first come across this 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 character in um the episode original Star Trek series, obviously, Space Seed in 1967, cousin. Oh, man. Right? And I think the, the first cool element of this is it's, it's uh, Ricardo Montalban, um, who later on reprised the role, man, in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which was in the 80s. You yeah. know, the same actor rep- reprises the role. Come on. Unreal. That's, that's pretty special, dude. It's absolutely special. It's absolutely gold. And, you know, Khan, the history of the guy, it's, it's, or the character, sorry. Um, but to me, they're all real. He, um, ended up dying, you know, spoilers in the, tw- in the 23rd century. But, you know, he, he was part of a power struggle. I guess not mutants, but, um, what would be the word genetically enhanced eugenics? Um, yeah. So yeah, he um he was involved in this big power struggle eugenics war. Jump, jumps on a spaceship and bails back in the day, right? Um, the SS Botany Bay, <laughs> um, and of course you know trouble ensues, and uh, it's damaged, and the ship's drifting in space for a couple of hundred years until obviously you know Jimmy Kirk and crew come across it with the ent- with the Enterprise, and um. Yeah, just a really interesting story. So I guess the, the reason why I find Khan interesting is, although you know he ends up being a pretty awful guy, he's got a code of ethics, man. He's got a mm. he's got an honour. He's got a cause that he feels is worth fighting for. And in, depending on which way you look at it, it's it's like okay, you you're kind of talking about you know equality for eugenics lieutenant marla macgyvers he you know who's who's one of kirk's staff she falls in love with him dude and starts going yeah he's a really because he's an alpha male you know and it was very interesting to watch because back in that star trek era kirk was arguably the most alpha male as alpha males come Mm, mm. And so here he is, man, running across this this dude that's smarter than him, that's stronger than him, way more alpha than him. You know, it created this incredible rivalry, which kind of worked its way into, I guess, the, what I would classify, you know, they were worthy foes, a worthy mm. opponent, brother. Mm. So, so 
in, in your mind, like uh, Kirk was in fact properly challenged to his core for almost oh. the first time. That's the gimmick, right? Absolutely. And, had and he didn't know how to question himself, had to, yeah. you know, it's the first time, as far as I'm concerned, man, it's the first time we really saw self-doubt in Kirk. Kirk was always just like, you know, I can just, I can just push and push and, you know, but and just I can get my way out of this, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's the first time it's almost like the, you know, the immovable force meeting the immovable object. It's just like, well, man, you got to dig deeper or change your tack here because well, this cat's going to eat you up. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, yeah, I feel you, dude. And, and it's such a, a classic rivalry too that in um, Into the Darkness that was released in uh, 2013, the Chris Pine revival. Yes. Um, well, it didn't even really need to be revived, but it's a really fantastic sort of reinvention and continuation in a lot of ways. But Benedict Cumberbatch comes back to play Khan. Yeah. And wow, he is... He's intoxicating on the screen generally, but as this sort of seething and unpredictable Khan, he's quite terrifying, isn't he? Like, yeah. did you enjoy that reinvention of of Khan in particular? I would I would say that there was something about Ricardo Montalban's just raw presence, particularly in the movie Star Trek: True to the Wrath of Khan, which you know, by the way, is considered you know, out of that movie universe to be one of the best. Admittedly, it's a shallower pool. <laughs> you know, they, they kind of, you know, screwed the pooch with most of the movies there. But, um, yes, I, I, I did I did enjoy his interpretation of it, but I, I'm curious. I think it might have been more contextualised to the actor because, mm. dude, I don't know how long since you've seen Wrath of Khan, but Montalban, <laughs> Montalban is just this seething, walking tiger, man. He's just... Mm. Mm. Glorious, like he's just so. I feel like they might have sacrificed some of the physicality of that, of that role, um, and I think that was a good move. Like, yeah. but yeah, Khan, the Khan in Star Trek Two is just like, mate, this dude's a tiger shark. He's a, you know, he's a, he's Mike Tyson just cruising, cruising through a, uh, you know, a nightclub in the in the nineties. It's just like this mm. is top tier predator, man. Don't. <laughs> so yeah, well, I did, but I did like his, I did like his performance. But I guess I'm, it's a bit of a John Pertwee, Tom Baker thing. Like yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I still guess still sits in a really nice spot for you. Montabans, my Tom Baker. There yeah. you are. His hair, bro. His hair, mighty distracting in um in uh, Wrath of Khan, though, isn't it? Totally. Oh my totally. God, he looks like <laughs> Tina Turner out of Thunderdome, dude. Yeah, like, straight out of White Snake. You know, <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a sterling way to kick off, my bro. Well done. I love it. Love it. Yeah. Khan's yeah. a fantastic adversary to a really, really powerful and pertinent strong sort of uh protagonist in kirk you know yeah yeah absolutely all right what do you got cuz well i think it's it's yeah there's so much going on here dude there really <laughs> i <is>. know <laughs> it's, it's nuts and there's so many things to say but you know one of the ones that is sort of pretty large in modern pop culture over the course of the last 20 years has been a certain young wizard and his certain evil adversary, as in Harry Potter and the great Lord Voldemort. Wow. My goodness. My goodness. Now, if you want a stark good versus evil sort of notion where, you know, Harry is clearly the good guy, a confused and tumultuous young wizard who's still learning his ways with this unimaginably scary connection to the most terrifying creature of all time, as in Captain Captain Voldemort. 
I don't know if he was a captain, but he was definitely a wizard. Yeah. I get confused. Yeah. But seriously, that is a hell of a rivalry and it goes, it's, it's perpetual throughout the entire series and comes to an amazing culminative end where it all goes horribly wrong. And of course, Voldemort is, uh, <coughs> spoiler alert, completely yeah. vanquished. Um, and that comes from an enemy that is of pure evil, you know? And there's such beautiful whimsy that comes with um, the Potter universe. Oh, he'd like to go and have me some butterbeer and sit and talk to Hermione for a while. It's yeah. lovely, you know? Yeah. You kind of want to soak in it. As, as a kid, hell, heavens above, that's sort of like gentle, lovely magic that it sort of, you know, begins with and alludes to this magical world where you've just got Oculus Repairo and you fix people's glasses and all this stuff. And then before you know it, and a couple of uh, episodes slash movies later is the old Avada Kedavra where you totally silence someone for the rest of their days. This whole universe is remarkable. It really, really is. And kudos to JK Rowling for giving, I don't know, the human race something really interesting to really sink your teeth into. Um, But yeah, the rivalry between Potsky and uh, Voldy is quite quite significant, you know? Um, And it's laden with prophecies and philosophies and deeds that need doing and deeds that can't ever possibly be done. And so... The gravity of this is just massive. Their exchange and their interactions and and relationship, their unbelievable connection, um, affects the entire world. Is the thing like their rivalry infects affects absolutely everyone else, not just in the wizarding world, but in our world as well, the old muggles as well. So that to me, dude, that's a classic, very obvious. I think black and white, polar opposite. Uh, rivalry, but heavens above. That's one of the big modern ones, I'd say, and that's uh, becoming a trope. We're going to see other folk attempt similar stuff, I'm imagining, in, in, in the coming years, for sure, dude. Yeah, I, I agree 100% <clears throat> in a um, in a kind of Joseph Campbellian sort of um, mythological sort of a vibe you know they they're the, each of the holders of good and evil and the and the uh, and the dynamic opposition between the two you know um and it's it's so cool that you had this on your list it's it, it's also interesting because i actually had as as a as a rivalry or a, or a foe i had harry and draco mm still yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean, and 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 I think that I think that this movie and this series is um, actually a really good example of. There's just so many worthy foes and worthy worthy rivals in it, man. Um, you know, it could be argued that um, you know Snape, um, Snape and Voldemort. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just incredible, and and not to sidetrack too much into this world, but. I, I, I was kind of late on it, man. I came I came to it through the the the, the eyes of my daughter. Um, I've just had the absolute blessing of, of of having a little girl that from the age of seven had read most of the books. She was just a machine, yeah. um, and and sort of coming back to it because I guess I was a bit poo pooey. Maybe I had Lord of the Rings fatigue. I don't know, yeah. but um. Sort of recognizing it as I watch now and going, wow, J.K. Rowling is so clever. Even if it is from a business perspective, she's aware that her audience is going to grow and age. And pop, I don't know if it was pre-planned, but you know, she knows that perhaps progressively the movies can get a bit more sinister because the audience is aging with it. 
Yes, exactly right. Uh, you know, so there's a parallel between, you know, the, the, the Harry. I mean, dude, you watch the first one. They're, they're literally babies. They're like little primary <laughs> yeah. school babies, you know. Yeah. And and, um, and just the the where they end up and the issues that they've got to face. Like, yeah. he's, he's virtually Satan, you know. There's a whole <laughs> exactly. lot of dramatic parallels between the whole Jesus, the Messiah thing, mm-hmm. like, um, and of course, finding, getting to the end, and this is the beautiful thing about a rivalry or worthy foes, is to say that literally in this movie, there's an element alive of each of them within the other. Yes, of course. Literally. Literally in this case. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Like, yeah, a phenomenal, a phenomenal rivalry, just and, truly. But And going back, cousin, it's one of the best series to go back and watch once you know what you know. And once well, again, true. I Jesus, dude, is there just every second episode do we mention Alan Rickman? But you go so. back <laughs> knowing what you know, my dude, and you mm. watch Rickman's performance and it's like, oh, dude, it's actually all there. The yeah. inflections, little bits on the yep. face, it's all there. The cat is the ultimate double agent in history. Isn't he just? Yeah. That's another idea for a great episode too, I reckon. Awesome <laughs> double agents. And I reckon uh, Snape <laughs> sort of makes it. But yeah, 100%. And that's a really great entry point for anyone, I think, into, I don't know, reading, dude. The first book is easy to read. And I've read them all and I've seen all the films. Easily the book's kick the movies out of the park yes. but it's a lovely entry point as well just for yes. witnessing this world and they're beautiful to look at man it's so oh. such a splendid treat but you're right and as soon as all the dudes are sort of in their final year right they're sort of making out and they're shooting each other with spells and <laughs> drinking strange potions and stuff totally. it's really great yeah, you know? yeah. taking ayahuasca <laughs> I, do, <laughs> I really do love seeing any sort of franchise and any sort of characters that grow up with the audience as well, and you can see the characters evolve an arc, as opposed to something like, well, The Simpsons, right? Poor example, but <laughs> nothing changes. Even after 25 years, Maggie's still a baby and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. let's see some of that. Let's see some evolving sort of characters. There's time. not, and I promise you, I'm not trying to trigger you or bait you, but it's you really don't. good to watch a series managed bloody perfectly with continuity over multiple episodes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I position Marvel and this series as the benchmark of saying – Here's just how you keep to the integrity and the continuity of a universe over 20 years, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know what I'm getting at, man. And this is, the mm. other, this is the other big argument or the vehement debates we've had before about how the Star Wars universe was, tr- was treated, you know? Those are our two things. It's Xbox, it's console platforms, and it's, you know, how Star Wars, the integrity of the universe has aged over time. But anyway, keeping the jam in the donut is this is such a wonderful example of just how you treat beloved characters. They grow the continuity. Oh. Exactly, brother. Exactly. So oh, we're, we're in a good era. I think that's understood. And you bring up the Marvel Universe, which we haven't really ever really delved into. Um, and that's the perfect example, though, isn't it? Like that's is, Isn't our whole season two just Marvel and then season three <sighs> Star Wars? I can't wait. I just can't wait, my dude. I really can't. Um, and for those playing at home... Well, I have had some. I have had some inquiries about it. We are kind of deliberately holding those um, wormholes back somewhat, but believe you me, we're going to travel into them. Um, we just got to work out exactly how we do it because, yeah, 
Um, <laughs> That's we, the real trick, isn't it? And, and how like, we get out with relationships intact and everyone's safe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Safety is integral. You know, but look, if we can send a dude in a little spaceship up uh, up Dennis Quaid and he can come out safely. No, Dennis Quaid's in the little spaceship, isn't he? And he goes up. Yes. What Martin Short. So if you can go up Martin Short in a little spaceship and come out safely, bro, we can work out a way to <laughs> traverse these topics and land the dismount. Well, God, I hope so, man. I really do. Because a lot's riding on this, man. This is our personal integrity and professional integrity of which... Mine are in tatters. Absolutely. This is our our shite talk capacity. Well, brother, would would it be okay if I posited an an example for for discussion? Right on the table. Please, (laughs) if you wouldn't mind. Posit all over the place, if you will. Look, it was really difficult for me not to consider this, um, these two gentlemen in particular, and, and another one on the side that I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. But when we talk about rivalry when we talk about right you know top tier rivalry um and a symbiosis and a worthy foe it's very difficult for me not to immediately think of obviously the caped crusader and the Mm. joker ah now this is this to me in all honesty summarizes it all but i'm not going to interrupt you please no no i i agree with you i think i think this could be if you had to if you had to put up an example um, for the for the aliens to understand the conversation in one one example, this is it. Um, and I mean, again, this is a whole episode. It, it, I have to be very careful how how deeply we cut here and how how uh, how far down we delve. But um, I think it was one of the greatest celebrations for me in the Christopher Nolan movies. Um, obviously, in my opinion, best best personified by Heath Ledger in that moment where he's dangling upside down and he, you know, giggle, you know, maniacally giggling his dialogue saying, I don't want to kill you. You know, why would I? It's one of the most finest acting moments, G Fresh. It's it's because he's laughing at the absurdity. It's so foreign to him, the idea of killing Batman that it's it's a it's a joke. It's like what why would I want to kill you? What would I what what would there be for me to do? Like you're exactly. me, I'm you, brother. Um to me, that's one of the finest ledger moments, and I'm not sure if any other actor could have caught it. But um that to me, if I had to show the aliens, that would be the clip. It's like this guy is insane. But also Batman's insane. It's just like, have you looked in the mirror? <laughs> you are running around the town dressed as a Batman. You know, that's <laughs> probably best best um, theatrically produced by, you know, Jack Nicholson's immortal line, mm. you know, where he's literally saying, what kind of a world is this where a dude, you know, what have I got to do to get some attention? This guy who's dressed like a bat gets all in my press. <laughs> um, you know, and so... We've talked, you know. I've I've gushed to you about my passion for the for the Cape Crusader because he doesn't have powers because he's un- unhinged. I'm not sure if mental illnesses have ever been explored in that way before. You know, I have I have comics where um, Bruce Wayne refers to the Bat as another person, and yeah. the Bat refers to Bruce as another person, just like I was talking to you, cousin. I mean, yes, come on, yes. you know. Now listen here, like, what about uh, what about 
dear old Alfred, Bruce Wayne's nearest and dearest, his only family, his butler, and his greatest yeah. caretaker. Does yeah. Alfred not think for one second to pick up the phone and call someone instead of sort of encouraging this behavior? It's like, oh, I say, Master Wayne, perhaps you should get a bat cave and make all these devices and new bat suits. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Bruce is like, oh, Alfred, this is the best idea you've ever had. Can we do it, please? He's like, of course, Master Wayne. I've already dug the cave. Like, <laughs> I, I I hear what you're saying, and you know what Alfred's super super na- uh, person name is? The Enabler. <laughs> the Enabler. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Completely enabling Bruce Wayne's psychosis. He's got incredible powers of enabling. I mean, he really should be calling the psych cat team, you know. He should yes. be calling someone and going, my employer thinks he's some sort of a martial arts vigilante. <laughs> exactly. He claims to have fought a woman dressed as a cat last night and someone called the Penguin. Oh, like, really? Yeah. And uh, every time I challenge him on it, he shoots a cable into the ceiling and flies through the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. But, man, yeah. Batman's, like, one of the oldest, oldest franchises. Like, I mean, when did Batman first appear in the oh, 40s? Dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bob Kane. Bobby Kane. Yeah. Um, like, honestly. So I wonder about Batman in a lot of ways too, and I'm not going to take this away from you. I just wanted to talk about the Cape Crusader ever so quickly. There Please. is like a campness and a a brilliance that comes with that era of almost anything, with the tight spandex-wearing sort of vigilante hero, and it's really quite baffling to me how that as a – you know, a dynamic or a, a stereotype or an archetype has made its way from the 40s through the damn war, through the Depression, through the Cold War, through the Nam War, back to the Cold War, now the Iraq War, and all of a sudden here we are, Batman's still relevant. It's really quite amazing, dude. Um, I just wanted to point that out. No, I love that. I adore mm. that. And I, I would, I you know, in, in response to that, I would suggest it's – his relatability, the fact that he's not Kryptonian, the fact that he's unhinged. You know, I, I mm. believe it makes him relatable. Like he's not I would I would almost suggest if you if you stick to some of the some of the comic series, it he's almost one of the first anti-heroes. He's not mm. he doesn't have a ton of attributes that you'd want to put on your clipboard to achieve. He's not you know, he's not well. Um, no. <laughs> no, he's vastly unwell, if you get my opinion, yeah. A- absolutely. And it's it's kind of always a curious move to me with with DC. One, I think one of their faults, you know, with, with DC is they try to copy-paste. I mean, look at Arrow. Like, it's just, you know, the green arrow. It's just like yeah. another vigilante based powerless dude who's the son of a trust fund um <laughs> goes away to an island goes through hideous training um comes across some of the same crew it's like okay yeah. um yeah you know and and it's just it's just an unusual thing but yeah so and i guess the other thing is sorry to i'm trying to complete a mental you know football i'm trying to kick around here live but you know I think that's what makes him interesting because we've all we've all seen the trope. We're not so different, you and I, Mister Bond, or or whoever. Mm, mm. But it's probably never been done better than in Batman because they're not different. Here's this insane whack job that just happens to be dressed up as a bat, <laughs> chasing this other insane whack job that's dressed up as a penguin. You know, like mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yep, totally, totally. And I mean, then if we want to boil it back down to the Joker rivalry, what is it about these two then? What is their intrinsic connection that means that the Joker believes that he is nothing without the bat? And I don't know, the Joker gives the bat uh, purpose as well. So where is this? Where does this lie for you? Well, top question. And it's a theme that's brought up in the comics and in the original storylines reasonably early as one of the major criticisms of Batman is to say that why these supervillains evolved was because of you. <laughs> mm. Like you were you were such a next level top tier vigilante predator that only the 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 you know nat- you created Darwinism in the criminal world. And it's a really cool plot line that's well explored. Said, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like these guys exist, you super rich, weird douchebag, because of what you've done. Um, and it's it's I think that's t- quite honestly part of it. I mean, one of the things that I think again Christopher Nolan explored so well was you know that that great scene where we first see Ledger's Joker really, and um, you know the, the the criminals are sitting around the table. No one really wants to sort of. T- point to the elephant in the room but they're all going it's not working everything's Mm, mm. everything we're trying is getting smashed because of this top tier predator who happens to be a martial arts expert you know and effectively a ninja a detective you know what i mean he's a forensic like you know the csi dudes who got nothing on this cat he's abundantly funded he's got more money than any of them and, you know, because of his some of his connections to industry, he's got top-tier tech that they can't even imagine. Mm. So the mm. whole purpose, my cousin, of Joker walking in is going, <laughs> I got your answer. A, I'm going to call it out. You're all scared of the bat. Let's be honest. You've, you've, all, you've all soiled the futon. Um, and as a result, here I am. I exist because you guys can't deal with that guy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, long answer to your short question, but I think that that duality has been explored so interestingly over time. Yeah. I'd like to go even a little bit further back, if you don't mind, um, because this is interesting to me, and explore explore it a little bit in Joaquin's uh, Joker as well. Do it. It's not, in fact, necessarily, in my mind, um, the the Joker necessarily isn't necessarily, forgive that over-necessarily comment there. (laughs) I didn't necessarily Um, notice it. I didn't even realize. And so the Joker is sort of manifested not from the bat himself, but in fact, even just a little bit deeper, the generation before, in Bruce's father. Yes. Mr. Wayne. Now, listen, he was the most ruthless capitalist, and he sort of disenfranchised a whole lot of people and did all this horrible stuff, swaggering his money around, taking over the city, being the big guy, and people had had enough of this rich jerk doing all this sort of stuff. And so they're almost um, a product of that same thing. They're both a product of the Wayne family in a way. 100%. Which is really quite remarkable in that. So it's, you can't even put it down to Batman not existing without the Joker, but neither of them would exist without the whole Wayne Foundation. Yeah. So it's even yeah. deeper. It's I whack, love that, isn't it? man. Well, you know, deep cut, my bro. Like, you know, it's a comment on the crazy capitalist neoliberalist agenda. Like, it's a it's a really interesting idea that you bring there. And, and I think that's why... You know, that's why it's so deep. There's, I can think of lots of issues of the comic and um, lots of points in the movie, but it's, it's, it's perhaps more poignant in the comics where 
the bat just can't kill him. He can't kill him. One of the greatest, greatest Mark Hamill moments in his voicing of the Joker, and in my opinion, is therefore one of the best Jokers. Um, and I think I sent you that scene ages ago is his great speech at Batman's funeral mm. um, in the animated series. And he's just filthy that some, you know, unknown dude, some underling managed to kill Batman. And he talks about it, cousin. He talks about how this dude, you know, and I'm obviously, I won't quote it. it and again, I'd love it if we could put it in uh, on the page, but it's beautifully done. It's beautifully acted. He's just disgusted that this dude isn't worth the steam off Batman's piss. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even talks about, like, you just had, you had your best day just coincided with his worst. You know, um, it's really interesting. So, underneath mourning Batman is it just his disgust of, like, if anyone's going to kill him, it's me, you bastard, you know? Yeah, um, totally, dude. And, mate, what they, what him and his crew do to that guy, oh, Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't end well. Needless to say, they apprehend him. Um, but it's such, a, such an amazing moment. Like your arch nemesis getting up and kind of doing a eulogy. What? Yeah, isn't that amazing? With passion that, and yeah, I mean, because who is the Joker without the bat? Where is the driving force there? What does the Joker then do if the bat ceased to exist? What does he, he do? He has no challenge. There's nothing to do. He 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 um he's the he's the merchant prince of mayhem, and he has no challenge if the bat isn't there. You know, and uh, so anyway, man, I just had to I had to go there. Um, because it's it's, it's something that fascinates me, and yeah, um, you know, it, again, it has a primordial, like deep cultural sort of archetypal vibe. Those two, mm. um, and and it's again why when I see it done in movies, we're not so different. It's like, oh please, yeah. Yeah, I know. We've seen it, Daddy O. Come on now. <laughs> it's almost just a beat. It's just a beat. You've got to hit now. What a pleasant rant that's been. I've really enjoyed it, man. Like, well, like at least the at ultimate least, rivalry. At least two people like it. <laughs> oh, dude, those guys in, <laughs> I those know, guys in New Zealand like it. Are you serious? They do. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> I knew it already. Bro. I knew uh, it already, man. All right. Well, I'm going to throw at you something, um, once again, a little modern as well, would be yes. um, Neo and Agent Smith. Dude, I've got that on my list and I didn't even oh. tell you. Of course you do, man. The, the secret behind this um, little cast is that we both write a little list of things that we like to talk about, and then when we match up, it's always a real, real bloody treat. But um, it really is, isn't it? But yeah, that's a that's a bit of a that's a bit of a thing as well. Um, oh, absolutely. And the gimmick being Neo, of course, uh, played by Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, and the the consequential or inconsequential sequels that um, happened soon after. I was just after. about to ask you, with this examination in my mind, where I, we're centering mainly on the first one, yes? Well, I think so, but you can't really discuss the rivalry without um, discussing about a series, uh, the, not the second managing. one, really. You know? about a series, <laughs> yeah, exactly. not managing, brother. Oh. This one goes into the bilge bucket for me, cuz. Yeah, the last two go into the bilge bucket. They seriously do. But the second one, I'm not saying Revelations. I'd do anything better, uh, differently. Like if you and I came up with a script, we got one movie, and then they just offered us cash buckets, I'd probably yeah. do the same thing. 
Yeah, and then you can sit around and do what you want. And that sounds pretty good to me, dude. It's kind of like could, living in a lockdown, isn't it? It's really we great. We could finally both have this, you know, each console. Oh, well, I tell you what, as soon as the sponsors are on board, we are laughing, my brother. Oh, absolutely. We are laughing. And thank you for the big sack of money that was brought to my door this morning, by the way. Yeah. Anyways, so the sequel can't can't be overlooked either because there's actually just, as far as rival battles go, um, Neo has broken the code of the Matrix, right? He can, yes. he can see it just like Agent Smith can see it because he is basically the code itself yes. yet he can see things that smith can't because he is smith is a is a is a program and he's got no other ability to do anything other than his programming and so neo is breaking all the boundaries and all of the boundaries being able to bend time and slow things down and yeah and eventually starts flying for god's sake yeah man he's got the time stone the reality stone like. <laughs> that's right exactly but why i need to mention the second one is uh and i think it's revelations revolutions is the final one i believe um forgive me because i don't really care but yeah. there's a ma- <laughs> Because there is uh, a massive battle, full disclosure, the massive battle that happens within the first 20 minutes of uh, The Matrix 2 against yes, an yes, infinite yes. amount of the Agent Smiths. Smiths. <laughs> they just keep replicating and keep coming in. Neo's there running around with this horrible, some of the worst, the worst CG that you've ever Very seen. Very bad, and wasn't it? Very rubbery. Seen, like, it was rubbery as hell. Um, not lovely, but rubbery. And so I felt like I was watching Smiths, an Artman. Right? Ardman film, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or a little bit Dali, you know? <laughs> Everything's sort of melting like clocks. Totally. But seriously, and so, but it's one of those classic scenes as well because um, of, I don't know, things that didn't get picked up in post-production. So you can see a couple of um, Hugo Weaving stunt doubles just sort of like standing at the back there, just sort of waiting for their turn to run in and get punched. And it's the most boring sort of fight. You wouldn't think that one guy versus a thousand would be boring. Somehow they did it. Wow. Yes. Wow, I yeah. tell you. Like, but just just on that, do you think it's boring because of the visuals? Like is, is reality broken for you because it looks like he's picking up Gumby and smacking other dudes with it? Or is it just that, yeah, he's there's no weight to it because he's clearly invincible? Yeah, I, that's hard to say. I think the, the visual effects really, really blew for that. And um, sort of take you so far out of it. Some of the, just even the camera angles just sort of suck. They just went a bit wild on it. As is, they're they're allowed to do. It was like two thousand one or something, so they can go kind of crazy. Yeah. But nonetheless, it sort of diminished. You know the 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 real gravity of the whole situation for me with the visuals. No but pun in, no what, pun intended. But no. yeah, both terms. Yeah. You like that? Thanks, man. That was once again something I practiced in the shower this morning. Man, you should just—we should just record me in the shower. I tell you, we don't well, you're already program. live streaming it. I don't know why you what? wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, are oh. we? Oh. oh, gosh. Okay. Well, mm, producer didn't contact me on that one. But yeah, I told you, above. I don't think he's a producer. He's weird, <laughs> no, man. Stunning. And he's he not keeps even real. all the footage. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, selling it to little strange little organisations on the dark what web. The hell? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, look, as rivalries go, it's a relatively newish one and um it's just because in the opening film um agent smith or the agents themselves not necessarily smith but they are terrifying they yeah. can't be stopped they can't be killed any other person in the matrix is absolutely shattered to pieces and yeah. blown away and neo gets his first little touch with it when he actually 
when Trinity sees his first sort of showing of power, when he does that classic Matrix backwards dodge of those bullets on the rooftop, totally, wow, now that's a goddamn scene if you ask me. But then, like, all of a sudden Neo gets a bit more aware and a little bit more powerful and then understands, and I think that's where it comes from, and understands what Agent Smith actually is and ceases to be terrified. And there's that scene, like, right at the end of the first where he realizes it. He realizes and he looks at the agents, seeing the Matrix through uh, Neo's eyes scrolling across mm. the screen, and he just stands there. The agents unload their 45s right at him, and he holds up his hand. The bullets stop, and the agents panic, and then chaos ensues. But, um, yeah, so that, you know, that's a really great little rivalry for me. It doesn't rival Batman and the Joker or Kirk and Khan, but... Hell, it was a, it's a cool little modern concept, and I really enjoyed it. Well, I actually really love it because it introduces an idea that we probably need to reinforce in that in order to exist within the rivalry, you have to continually, quote-unquote, get better. So the I would posit that the reason for the whole multiple Smiths scene in the second one is Smith... Now, we need to demonstrate that he's upgraded. As a, as a result, much the same of potentially the Joker and Bane and all these uber criminals existing because of Batman, Smith now has to manifest the capabilities to make a hundred of himself to remain somewhat competitive with Neo. Now, I don't know if that's a problem of just, yeah, when you, when you agree to a bag of money and you say, yeah, I'll do two more movies and kind of we thought the last one was going to be the end. Probably. That's, that's, you know, that's the Roman gladiator Cynocles in me. But that's what I heard you talking about. Like, in order to initially vanquish Smith, you know, Neo's got to, he's got to upgrade. He's got to, he's got to virtually become a deity. Um, and likewise, in order to stay in anywhere competitive with him, um, you know, Smith's got to manifest these deity-like abilities himself. So I think it's a really important example to say that these rivalries, I guess if we take out ethics, maybe just in terms of skill acquisition, they make the participants better. And yeah, another one, another one just off the top of my head might be, you know, like an Apollo Creed, Rocky Balboa sort of thing, you know, like even yeah, just yeah. in the first one, you know, that first wonderful movie where, where Creed, you know, uses Balboa um, and, and doesn't rate him at all. And, and almost the story's told in the fight, you know, we, we, we watch the first two rounds and Creed's just talking smack and just, just having his way with Rocky. And then I think it's round three, Rocky goes under. Nathan gets that big body shot in and cinematically so well played by Carl Weathers as in, oh, that really hurt. <laughs> like that yeah. just hurt. And he goes back to the corner and he's hurt, brother, you know. And yeah. throughout the process of that fight, he has to move from just being cocky and stupid. And at one point his trainer goes, you need to come to the party. This dude's going to knock you out. Mm. So, I mean, a much lesser example, but I, I, I'd, I'd re be really keen to explore that, you know, like um, the, the, the protagonist and the antagonist sort of need to get better in their continuous engagement mm. with each other. But with the focus that the, the endeavor to get better is to best that adversary. In Absolutely. Wouldn't be, yeah. wouldn't be going into the Super Saiyan training chamber if the dude wasn't there. Exactly right. So you've, in fact, created your own adversary. You idiot. 
<laughs> just, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you, you, you willy, but here we are, and I'm just going to go home, I'm going to play Pokemon Gold, and I'm yeah. going to go to sleep. Like, that's yeah. all I want to do. No, well, Neo wouldn't have any of that, as Agent Smith so pointedly worked out soon enough. Well, it's a really, it's a really interesting theme to explore, you know? Like, um, there's, there's, there's indications in the plot line that, you know, Zod... Um, only comes to Earth because of his awareness of where another Kryptonian went. Do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes there's a really interesting, probably two things that are explored in these things, duality and causality, you know? Mm, Interesting. mm. It's super interesting, man. Well, look, that's... um there's my little entry there into the uh, the realm of rivalries was uh, Neo versus Agent Smith or oh. the agents themselves or then versus the guy that created the Matrix as they all pluck it apart. You got to see the films, maybe. Oh, no, sorry, I wouldn't wouldn't want my enemies to see the, the sequels. Yeah, I was Just about stop to say. One. Yeah, seriously. Well, what sort of um, entry have you got into the uh, rival train? Well, another one for me that, that came to mind a really um, – passionate one that I've had for, for Jesus, man, four decades, is Doctor Who and The Master. Oh, my goodness me. You know? Um, oh. This is just something that I have enjoyed and reveled in for years, ever since, you know, ever since we saw the, the, uh, the wonderful and perhaps campy uh, Shakespearean style delivery of Roger Delgado in 1971 in in terror of the Autons when we first see the master. Um, but I think, yeah, not not uh, not to the extent in the Doctor Who universe had we seen a, a, a Yang to his Yin or a Yin to his Yang, whatever it is. But here's another Time Lord, brother. Here's another yep. cat. Here's another Gallifreyan. Here's the only other one. Here's a dude that can regenerate. You know, the Time Lords, as we as we sort of discover throughout the telling of these stories, are, are a powerful race, you know. Um, uh, you know, they're not the, you know, they're not like, uh, they're not the Lords of Nap Time, you know. They're looking after time, brother. <laughs> Actual time. And I like that you chose um, the Master as opposed to, like, you could have gone in, in a Doctor Whoian sense uh, for Davros of the Daleks or any one of the Cybermen, you know, like, well done. Well, this is the thing. I, I, you know, I think you and I need to talk about Davros as well. Um, so I did have, I had first the Master and then I had, I had it slash Davros. I, I think you can't you can't not mention Davy. Um, and I suppose Dav- I suppose the reason you mentioned Davy is that he's been there on a similar no pun intended timeline. You know the all this all the genesis of these stories come out of the Time Wars. You know, and that's the that's the Daleks and the, and the Gallifrey and people. But um, starting with the Master. Um, Here's, there's a few connections. There's a few symbiotic things here. Number one, always running just under the surface is the fact that they were not only great friends, they were best friends. Mm. You know, there's a there's a regard. There's a there's a familiar, well, a deeply familial vibe between them. These dudes know each other. So when the master is you know sticking out a jab and making a comment, it's it's kind of like I've known you for 400 years or whatever it is at that stage. Could have been 600, 800, 100. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you and I, you and I already know how to push each, each other's buttons after five years. Imagine, you know, 100, 200, 400, you know. 
Yeah, or an eternity. Yeah, an absolutely. Eternity. Time does not exist. You get to know someone a bit in eternity, don't you? And and the beauty I think of the doctor is that as quote unquote good as he is, or sorry, as intent on being good as he is, there's an intentionality with the master to be bad. So it's almost like one of them just decided I I just you know I'm a warrior, and and that was what was fun about more recent series they go into the fact that listen man the doctor is a warrior so he's killed people you know in fact his body count is epic like line up his body count um and so but he's mate he's using intentionality to say i want to be better but the same decision and the same cv um seems to equate to a decision to go nuts I want to be a bad dude. I want to be a master of everything. Again, it's not just a clever name. He doesn't want to be the servant. <laughs> He's yeah, not the precisely. servant. Precisely. Uh, There's some sort of element behind that too as well when it comes to, uh, you know, when someone just – who you would normally think would be just fine and would align themselves morally to a certain way of thinking. But when someone perceives you to be something else, well – why am I going to bother to change that? And I must, I'm just going to soak in it. Well, I'm going to become bad. Look what you've done. You created me by your perception. I love so that. that's your own fault. God I love damn it. it. Yeah. yeah. And, and talking about the perception, you can feel the doctor's pain because he does constantly want to offer the redemption. He's that dude. He's sort yeah. of been the destroyer of worlds. And now he just wants to be Johnny Olive Branch. He's just always, so there's a part of him that's, it's well played, man. It's well written. There's a part of him that's that you know when the master appears is going ah oh, crap. Like yeah, I know which way this is going to go, but it's balanced with I really know the way that I would love this to go. Mm. I really mm. know what my heart needs. I'm an ancient being, and there's only one other. <laughs> yeah. And he's being a prick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's just it's just one of those things, Cuzzy, where I've loved watching that. And like I said, you know, this this cat first appeared in 1971, and you know, even even modern portrayals of the master, um, you know, e- even in that season when when he was Missy, you know, was just beautiful just mm. so well acted again and but one cannot exist without the other you know in, in many regards and you know there's been times when he's kind of quote unquote used his powers for good and and then he just you know it's a little bit like it's a little bit like Thor and Loki there's a real similar dynamic there to just you know he he can he can use his powers for good but to me that's what makes him so much more of a quote unquote bad dude He's not, in many ways, he's not like the Joker where he's just unhinged and just kind of, that's his default setting. He's a dude that's going, no, nah, I'm going to commit to being a prick. <laughs> Actual, actively chosen, you know, yeah. Okay. And I must say, there must be such a, such a, ah, I don't know how to describe this without coming across as a psycho, but if you were... <laughs> In a situation of the same ilk, you know, you feel pretty, pretty sure of yourself and you've got ideas of how, how it's all going to play out, right? And when that's challenged and when an assumption is made and then when you're opposed as the bad guy and there is no way of getting out of that, yeah. there must be some sort of mm, relish where you can go, ah, 
bugger, I'm sinking my teeth into this. Turns out I'm pretty good at it. And yeah. then off you go and then you just can't stop. And then, then of course, you get like a, a, a Vader sort of redemption at the very end and go, I didn't really mean to do any of that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I was never really a bad guy. I just uh, was doing bad things because it felt really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the that's – the, I was actually explaining this to an eight-year-old the other day, my son, because – uh, he he was trying to sort of look at the prophecy in that story and saying, but, you know, and rightly so. He's going, but look at all the awful things. Didn't he blow up a planet? And I'm like, well, yes, he did. But, you know, in the <laughs> end, he turned around and decided that he was going to be civil. But I was saying to him, that's the point. Only the most powerful Jedi could be so deeply imbued in the dark side and use intentionality to get out, man. That's... Yeah. Lifting some serious kilos, dude. You know it really is. Um, and I and I and I and I sort of agree with you that there must be sort of some sort of some sort of like, look, I've opened the floodgates now, and this is, you know, this is just my destiny. I just I I, I may not have necessarily wanted it, but it's it's the road I've sown, and so to me, that's what comes out a little bit in in the Marvel cinematic universe that's done so well with the portrayal of Loki. It's mm. almost like there's a bit of like I I'd, I'd love to come back. It's but it's you know it's it's too late for me. Look at what I've yeah. done. Yep, precisely right. Yeah, that's a really good example, man. And yeah, the Vader thing for me as well is just like the yeah the ultimate sort of dude that's just gone down the road. And that's sort of like, can I segue into something? Would you mind? Please. Because that's sort of perfect. And the other rivalry I've got here right now is Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Who, wow. <clears throat> um, their rivalry is sort of like, it's, I don't know, it's real. It's, it's you know, it's tangible most of the time because they're sort of they're young we're talking about the prequels of course um when anakin is played by hayden christensen really unfortunately and we can talk about that another time but especially in the third um when the rivalry is real anakin has actually become pretty powerful he's pretty useful he's become really great and he's starting to overshadow obi-wan in many many ways and obi-wan's constantly being just the slightly older guy saying may i remind you to just keep it together chill out stop don't kill the uh, younglings uh, blah 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 and it yes. culminates of course when um oh when palpatine sort of totally toxicifies anakin's brain into delving into the dark side and then he just that's exactly what we're talking about here when someone who is not inherently evil gets that little taste and it's like oh god damn it i was good at that and now I'm going to do it. Do it again. I'm going to do it again. And so that scene when they're fighting on uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting in uh, the planet Mustafar, oh. the one that's mostly lava, um, at the end. And uh, Anakin has, in fact, bested his, well, his best friend and his apprentice. And he is in tears after hacking off his legs and his arm, looking at him as Anakin's crawling up the hill still, you took her from me and trying to get him. And he's like... He's in tears. You were the chosen one. You yeah. made me do this. Yeah. You know? Don't so do it, Anakin. Like, my God. It's one of the most – that's incredible. That that bit, man, in all honesty, that culmination of those three crummy films to that final 15 minutes where that actually happens, when he actually leans himself and lends himself to the dark side completely. Tragedy. Oh, and the heartbreak Tragedy. across Obi-Wan's face. God and so then that then creates 
Obi-Wan who he is for the rest of his days, this much quieter, reserved, sort of sage-like character because he's seen it all and he's heartbroken forever because of that, you know? Well, and he, he failed, effectively. Like, well, yeah. You know, um, and and I and I do I do the like, gee, what a beautiful analysis. And I'm I'm let's just go deeply into this segue. Let's dive into the lava. But I, I do feel that the more upon reflection, and this might just be the relativity of the later movies, I'm less angry at the prequels as I was. Right, mm. and that just could be that I'm just learning to, you know, maybe the medication's working. <laughs> Finally, and, and but I do agree with you of those for of, of of those three prequels. Definitely, that you know, I really rate, I almost rate the whole movie. Like I think it's just it's and you know, I'm trying to keep the door shut. It's a discussion for another episode, but I mean, their relationship sort of very quickly shifts to latently competitive. It's mild. It starts off. You know, just obviously mentoring, big brothery sort of a thing, but it's pretty quickly transitioned into this this competition. There, you know what I mean? There's a bit of, you know, a pe- I don't know if it's a pecking order, but you're right. Like he constantly has to sort of go, um, dude, I'm the black belt. Like that, you're you're a highly skilled brown belt, and you are probably <laughs> better than me. But I get the black belt, so cool your jets. Yeah, and you know, I like how they progressively explore that dynamic of like he's. As the movies go on, he's he not getting so good at cooling his jets. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, culminating in murdering children, that's pretty warm <laughs> jets. Many. <laughs> yeah. Well, because that's a coming of age thing too for Anakin, isn't it? Like like in uh, the Clone Wars or Attack of the Clones, um, where he was a reprehensible little brat, an annoying goddamn dude. You could see the chaos in this guy the whole time and, you know, Obi-Wan's doing his best to curtail that into positive ways, but he's starting to lose himself. But by the third one, he's far wiser, he's had far more experience, but he's still so hot under the collar that he's going to go and take the first opportunity to slay or slash or drive too fast or dive out of something, whereas he hasn't got the measured wisdom in knowing, like, I'm going to go around the corner instead of busting through the room because he's going to come out eventually. So I'll, I'll wait there. Whereas he's just going to go flat knacker straight through the damn thing. Much you like know? the experience you had with that NPC in, uh, what was it? Morrowind where it just, right. you know. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget that day. <laughs> Apology to the room. Uh, yeah. It's very interesting that you listed that because I, I, I thought about it and then I kind of went, uh, I don't know if there are rivalries to the level that 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 I want to throw on my list. So I love that you've brought this up because I was, you know, I was considering it, and then I thought to myself, um, there's just a there's just a level where then they're kind of disengaged. You know, that's the funny bit. Just when they escalate to DefCon Five of going right, boom, we are absolutely on opposite teams. They don't interact again. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. In in fact, I think the intentionality to be evil has never been better explained than by our little green friend in Dagobah. I believe it's Yoda. Is that what you of wanted course. to say? <laughs> no, no. Sorry, I was, I was, I was pausing because I was counting the words, and it's never been better explained in three words. The intentionality to be evil. Easier, more seductive. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And against the question of is evil stronger? Is it, you know, it's like, no, dude, it's easier and it's more seductive. You might get there faster, but you're not necessarily going to upgrade, you know, um, and be careful because, you know, it's going to corrode the vessel possibly. So, when we go back to the beauty of that decision of a, of a of an individual going <laughs> i've been as bad as you can be like i'm honestly not trying to be you know trite or reductive here but you know people are mad at what hitler did this cat blew up a whole planet you know and and you know there's there's almost a there's almost a nobility in sort of saying the best thing that I can do because I can never really come back but the best thing I can do is I can grab that guy who really is the center of it all and I can throw him down into that vent and kill him that's yes. the most noble thing that I can do because I can't really come back from destroying a planet you know no but also you bring that up really well because I that's selfish as hell. He didn't do that for the greater good. He did that to save his son. You know what I mean? So that's that's where that one gets a bit cloudy for me because he really did turn around. He came back and he could see the light side and he could see the goodness in his son and the evil that was the emperor. But he did it not for the sake of the galaxy but for his son. And bless him. I think that's a fine thing to do. But, you know, I think that's, you know, that boils that one down a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really interesting perspective. I I, I agree to, to to for the most part. I think um, and anyway, I will not touch on this much further. But that's why the the sequels and the latest installment installment cheapen all of that to go. Nah, you just chucked a photocopy down the thing. That's fine. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like because I agree with you. That whole final scene. I can't believe how well it's edited, directed, and and acted mainly by Hamill. Hamill kind of bears all the acting chops because we cut back to the scene of this mask. What? There's nothing that the actor can do <laughs> to portray anything, but it's done so well. Those those oh harrowing screams of pain from Hamill, you know. Mm. You know, because it is really funny. If you, it's it's that old thing. If you, if you turn the volume down and there's none of the music and none of the sounds, it just cuts back to this weird space-looking helmet dude. You don't, you know, there's just not as much there. But yeah, so that that, that whole moment is just there's so much loaded into it. Um, and to just, oh, mate, to just cheapen that, it was just like, wow, that's that's a testicular kick for me. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. What an incredible, what an incredible rivalry. Um, yeah, and look, I don't think we'll go too much on about the Star Wars rivalries, but there's a hundred of them. Like, honestly, even in- uh, It's interesting to me you um, picked that one. Yeah, I know. It's, it was interesting to me as well, because I think it, it concluded well, and I think there was more hope riding on it, and more changed when it broke down, you know, when the rivalry was over. Everything changed from that, you know? Look, at even at one point, Luke and- uh, Han were rivals for uh, Leia's love. For, for the wrong sake. reason, and, you know, man. That's oh your sister, dude. God. And Luke was winning. <laughs> he really was. He really, really, really was. <laughs> oh, dear. Leia, Leia, Leia. Oh, well, what can we say? Anyway, you got another entry into the uh, amazing rivalry phone booth? Yeah. Well, there's no way that we can get through this without, you know, entering the MCU. Um, and for me, I, I want to mention Thanos and Stark. 
Mm. Thanos and Stark you've chosen as opposed to Thanos and all of existence. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I suppose it's more quantifiable when it's one guy, though. <laughs> you know? Well, this one actually is more just open for discussion between you and me. Like, this is, Please. Um, again, um, to all our wonderful listeners, we, we did want to give you a sneak preview into a conversation style that honestly if you walked into the lunchroom where we work this would be what would be occurring um, one thing's for damn certain we wouldn't be talking about actual work um, yeah so I think I think it's a really interesting one in that and I'm going to fast forward right to the end G Money it's, it's that incredible gesture because when we meet Tony Stark, cuz he's he's a pretty mm. narcissistic, self-absorbed uh what's the word? stroker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what I really liked about that first movie that Favreau brought to the movie of like he's he's just in terms of his own cup it overfloweth. He is full of himself. Mm. Um and you look at the the gesture that he does at the end of the series, like absolutely that whole moment where he looks at, you know, he looks at Dr. Strange and at the penny drops, it's like, oh, you couldn't tell me this because I need <laughs> yeah. to die. I'm yeah. about to die. Um, the guy that we meet in the first movie wouldn't have thrown that glove on, son, no, in my opinion. No. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, he had more important things to do than save uh, the universe. Not just humanity or planet Earth, but the universe. And like you said, Thanos, it's possibly harder to find a more impactful, influential villain in any of the universes that you and I love. Would that be yeah. fair? Like, oh, the dude's a, the dude's a titan. Fair. He's a literally titan. a titan. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, and and the thing about like his whole uh, oh, his evilness and his whole desire to do what he wants to do when he gets his and he gets a lot of screen time for his exposition, um, you can't in fact uh, argue with him. He's he's there's a on logic. the money. There is there is real logic. A yeah. malevolent logic. There's yeah. There's a there's a real clinical logic to it. There's a um, I, I, for want of a better term, a scientific argument to say, mm. yeah, man, everything's overcrowded and ridiculous and yeah. competitive and the overcrowding is what causes the um, lack of access and the imbalance and the unfairness and the um, – yeah, and he's not – you know, he expresses himself well and eloquently. There's an honour to him. Do you know what I mean? There is an honour yeah. to him. There's a code which I think is is another perhaps commonality between – I'm not necessarily saying it's a code of ethics, but there's a yes. code. It's not a random thing that he's just doing. He didn't wake up one morning and jump off his Titan futon and go, you know what would be really cool? I should take over the <laughs> whole thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And even, even, you know, the fact that there's that, there's that cool moment when he recognises Stark, he's heard of Stark, and there's that interplay of like, you know, maybe it's the last bit of the narcissist in Stark going, wow, man, the most malevolent, powerful being in the universe has heard of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know who I am? What? Um, it's just, um, to me, it's an incredible rivalry. Tony would not have gone on that journey 
had it not been for Thanos. Now, I guess this is a different rivalry because they don't really interact on their journey as much as the others that we've talked about. You know, Batman and Joker virtually have their own apartment together. You know, you could see you could see the Batman walking into the living room and, God damn it, did you pay the electricity? I didn't pay the electricity bill. You know, like you could see them hanging out. <laughs> Whereas these two, they don't meet directly until the end. And Jesus wept when they do. Um, the significance yeah, of, of, yeah. of it is not lost. So I know that I know that you know that might be a weird one to pull out of the MCU for you. But where do you sit no. with that? What do you think? Well, because they both know each other, you know, of each other is what I meant to say. And of course, Thanos clearly everyone knows who that guy is. But for Thanos to know who Stark is as one of <laughs> like Earth's defenders and someone who might be a bit of a problem. And one of the first people that actually sort of surprises Thanos in a fact where, you know, he's got the ability to assemble this fighting force to protect this realm. Yeah. And that's not to be balked at, you know. He yeah. would, I'm sure, would remember many generals that he has come up against in the past, um, you know, rallying entire planets against him. Um, but Stark being the final one, of course, and it's it's a really quite... Really quite an amazing rivalry. You're absolutely right. Once again, like if you bring up the MCU, every individual film could be talked about for having the rivalries there, you know, because and some of them are you know what more personal and bigger in a way, but you know. You know what, what, dude? You know we're probably gonna have to break down every one, right? You know we don't. Yes, I I know this and that's okay. You know? Or let me say, sorry, you know we're going to have to break down everyone again in front of microphones. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. Yeah, precisely. Not just a water cooler this time. Yeah, I know, right? But yeah, no, that's that's a big one. But that's, um, once again, a unique sort of rivalry as well. Um, because of the fact that there isn't that um, constant argy-bargy and in each other's faces and matching and then realizing, like, oh, he's pretty tough and then going to get better. When they actually eventually meet, it's the last are the first and the last time they're ever going to meet. There's that much weight to it. You know, they don't need each other at all. But, you know, one can't exist if the other does. And that's that's Thanos' choice. <laughs> you know, he created that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Thanos is meeting arguably the best Tony, but is Tony meeting the best Thanos relative to mm. the end, the very end? Because it's not, you know, it's not the... I don't even Jesus, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's not the oldest Thanos. It's not the Oh it's it's very it's very, very interesting. But the idea of um the idea of when Thanos is killing him just going, you know, people are gonna tell stories about you, dude. Like you can you can yeah. you can die with honor, cuz. Like well played. Like surely that yeah, alone totally. from a from a Titan goes on your C V <laughs> You know, that's <laughs> You'd what, think so, wouldn't you? That's, if I got that on a reference from Thanos, I'd be banging that in my CV, you know, like <laughs> it's a it's yeah. a thing, right? Oh, Baker's delight of hiring Thanos' uh, minions left, right and centre, I believe, after the chaos. Ebony Moore is carving <laughs> you up like a like a finger bun. Ah, delicious. It's interesting, it's interesting, isn't it, from the perspective of just saying, well, what would Tony have been? Like, where would he have evolved to? Because what came up for me too is that you you mentioned to me that he's got to assemble this team, you know, and, and you sort of compare that to the first movie. He's just the opposite of a team player. Like, 
and kind of kind of rallies against team the whole way through. Yeah, he really does. But it only sort of really happens in proper culmination when he realizes that um, he's actually, for the first time, in, this is Tony, uh, in his life, that he's got something that he cares for greatly that he has the chance of losing, as in his child, and yes. uh, Pepper oh. Potts, of course. And so that's the real that's the real kicker. Oh. He, had he not had a darling child, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have. He would have assembled the crew and gone. Ah, we've lost. We're out. I'll figure I out agree. a way to live elsewhere. But it's because of that. He's walked out, quote unquote, walked out on Pepper before. You know, like yeah. He, even when he goes up, I think it's in the in uh, Infinity War when he goes up to Ebony Moore's ship. He's there's a bit of him going, oh, sorry, you know, it's me. I'm on the ship. Eh, I might yeah. not make it, you know. And arguably, if he didn't have the kid with him, probably wouldn't have made it. But it's one yeah. of those. It's one of those really interesting things, isn't it? Like dude, that scene with Favreau, that last scene where oh. you know, I'll get you oh. the cheeseburgers, dude. I get misty. It's it's. Ah, ev- don't even start. I'm getting misty now. You. Ev- I know oh. every time. But um, yeah, so he goes from just being this superficial cat to this deeply meaningful dude. But I'm getting the sensation that you might you you had a different sort of a rivalry that you'd want to pull out of that universe, cuz. Um, out of that particular universe, yes, yes, I do. There is a couple to go. The 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 uh, the rivalry that um, Stark once again has between he and Captain America yeah. is quite quite palpable because. On paper, both of these men are morally aligned. They are good, I would say, inverted commas, good. But what we see in Civil War after uh, what happened in Age of Ultron, um, where Sokovia is totally sort of destroyed and the Avengers are all of a sudden answerable, like, hey, you guys are a bunch of vigilantes. You basically destroyed a city. Can you answer for this, please? And Stark is, like, taking this really interesting road that I didn't think he'd take. And he's like, well... Yeah, we've actually got to adhere to international... Like, we can't go around. Like, we can't do that, Captain America. And Captain America saying, no one else is doing it, Tony. We've actually got to do it. We've got to do it now, and we're the right people to do it. And Tony's still saying, saying back, going like, hey, dude, they haven't elected us. We've got to do the right thing here, or else they shut us down completely. Can you get that? Yeah. Cap can't get that. And then, inevitably, they have this massive, massive battle amongst each other's sort of, uh, oh, what do you call them? Teammates? Factions, cronies, yeah. Factions. You know? Yeah. And so, you get these two pointed, directly different sides in the one, you know, positive uh, positive uh, Earth force. And all of a sudden, they're yeah. battling? What the hell's going on here? Yeah. And it culminates into a bit, of a, a bit of a battle between the two of them, which is quite amazing but that's a great rivalry i think in that effort because they are both seeking the same results but are going to take different ways to get there so you don't often see many rivalries between the good guys essentially yeah. um, there's always like the prime antagonist both views of both of these men are right yeah you can you can you know depending on how charismatic the dude is i would have followed either one of them you know, at one point going, oh, he's got a really good point. I'm following him. But hang on. In fact, he's offering tea and biscuits and I'm going to go with him. So, you know, they're actually mutual in this sort of circumstance. So no one wins, <laughs> you know. I mean, the idea, the idea of collateral damage, which I think is what we're talking about here, was what 
I was bummed out. Like, I felt like that's what Zack Snyder was trying to explore in Justice League. Like, on one hand, you and I talked about how what it looks like to see two Kryptonians go at it. Like, it was, I, I personally, for me, that was a highlight of that otherwise poopy movie. It was just like two impervious super people. I wonder what it would look like when they rumble. That's how simple I can be sometimes. Of course, they're going to push each other through buildings and walls. But, um, yeah, what I think was a really valid thing to explore was like, well, that's going to create some serious collateral damage. It's going to knock buildings down. You know, and that's what I know that Affleck wanted to explore. That's what I... but But the point to my seemingly pointless tangent is I think collateral damage was much, much more efficiently explored. It was still, there was a weightiness to it, but it didn't need to go to DC somber, you know, Nick Cave and, you know, absinthe sort of vibe. And uh, yeah, it was really, you're right. But I guess what was interesting to me about this is they sort of swapped positions, didn't they? Well, like they sort did, of yeah. became each other. Like one was one was the vigilant representation of the state, and the other one was like, "Nah, this is you know they're they're outlawing freedom, so only outlaws are going to be free." Which, yeah. and and another thing, another thing which is an interesting element between Thanos and Stark and and uh, Stark and Cap is these dudes give each other the whooping of their lifetime. Like they, even even in that even in that Stark Cap battle, like dude, they they come close to just just absolutely you know murdering each other. Well, they really do. Do you think they would have followed through? Like, do you reckon that could have been an outcome? I, I do. I absolutely yeah. do. And I think mm. that um, you know, and I think that if not for the presence of um, other characters, you know, Stark would have died when he went up against Thanos. Like, yeah, it's just. And, and unless you have this um, MacGuffin messiah character that you can just turn up in the last second last movie or last two movies and go, hi, I can travel all the way across time and space and I can find you and bring <laughs> yeah. you home, he would have died. Would have yeah. been it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you, you remember sitting there in the cinema seeing that preview where he's just talking to his helmet cam, basically going, I love you so much, look out, you know, look after yourself and... I'm sorry, but this is it. I'm dying. You know, and he's emaciated and... Yeah. Yes, I do. Oh, God. Thanks for bringing that up again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that's if you're being sarcastic, but... Sort of, no, I don't even know if I am either. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. There's a, there's a, there's a weight, like what you and I have talked about before. There's a weight to these worlds and these universes that just is, is beauty and it's tragedy. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's what I think evokes that human condition. But, yeah, I, 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 I take on board what you said about those two, man. And I do think, I do think, you know, if not for the presence of – because who else is there? The Winter Soldier is there as well when yeah, they're going right. at each other. Yeah, um, yeah it could have been a – could have been a different outcome and you can almost see that when they're fighting man as rivals there's still that regard but they've they're just not really recognizing dude that's one of your brothers there man you know yeah they've switched off they've gone to instinct at that point and they're righteous you know and so they're not going to stop yeah hell of a thing it's really interesting that the, the transitions and the swaps in that universe, like, you know, that Cap switching to Tony in that movie, Cap, you know, becoming Thor for a moment in the yeah. in the last That's one. That's right. Oh, you know. What a treat. Oh, 
gosh, you know, you really, it's really sort of got my uh, my juices flowing. I could red hot watch all those again, starting from the start, sir. Look, um, I hope uh, you, yeah, you're getting juice everywhere. I hope you're sitting on a towel. I've got, you know, to sort of try to steer this boat back home, I've got a deep cut reference and, and, and I would probably only be brief about it. It would be from the, from the movie Once Upon a Time in China 1, directed in 1991, directed by Shui Hark. Um, it would be the, it would be the rivalry between Iron Robe Yim um, and Wong Fei Hong. So, yeah, Iron Robe played by Shi Quan Yen, um, veteran Hong Kong actor, and um, obviously Wong Fei Hong played by Jet Li. Um, dude, in the words of Molly Meldrum, do yourself a favor if you have not seen A, that movie, and B, the interaction between those two guys, because. Yeah, Wong Fei Hong has in Hong Kong movies has a tendency to be portrayed as a deity. Um, he has to get better to beat this guy. This mm-hmm. guy has honor. This guy um, is established so well. Wong Fei Hong's got to go deep to beat this dude. Um, and again, that's what I think is in these rivalries. The the rivalry. Um, you know, you've got to go to a deeper level. You've got to find more, or yeah. you know. You're yeah. going down, son. You have me at an advantage on that one, my brother, because I, I have not seen that, but I will endeavour to school myself. And uh, I'm. can you see me writing this down right now? Yes, I can. It's writing, G-Man is the best. And what's the name of the film again? Oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I'm playing with you. I'm playing with you, baby. Come on. God, God damn it. No, it's a, it's a popcorn and it's a, it's a beverage and, and thank me later. But what do you got, cuz? All right. Well, this is pretty much my final one before a few honorable mentions, and it's Oof. a little bit obscure and a little bit tricky to shoehorn into the the direct rivalries as, as we've been discussing. I love. But let's see this, how you do. This it. is another aspect and another element to me. All right. Now, this is one of the dearest pieces of literature on the planet to me. It's the second highest selling book of all time. That being, Ooh. of course, Lord of the Rings. Now, there are many, 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 many rivalries all the way through this. But the one that I've chosen, because I find it infinitely fascinating, is the ever so brief rivalry, the literal battle rivalry uh, between Gandalf and Durin's Bane, the uh, the Balrog on the bridge of Khazad-dum in the mines of Moria. Now, the reason I've chosen this is because if you are, have ever really stepped deeply into the Lord of the Rings universe, you will realize how deep it goes, and it's almost infinite. It really does rival and parallel any theology for amazing mythology and, you know, rites of passage and amazing deeds done by humans and beasts alike. Well, just to give you a quick idea of why I'm choosing this is that Gandalf, if you look further off into the distance about who he is, is in fact a Maya. Now, a Maya is uh, one of uh, many creatures that have come from the Valar, um, the, the creators, basically, right? So Gandalf is a Maya, and so is this very intriguing character named Sauron, is also a Maya. So they are, in fact, similar. They are of the same cast, mythological cast. Now, one of Sauron's uh, dearest uh, 
allies is uh, his name is Gorgoroth. And Gorgoroth is Lord of the Balrogs. And apparently there were only ever seven Balrogs. To those that don't know what a Balrog is, it's quite a large demon, a winged demon emitting smoke with a fiery whip and a fiery sword, the most devastating adversary that you could ever possibly face. So... <laughs> knowing that Gorgoroth, Sauron, and Gandalf are in fact all Maya is really quite amazing. So they have battled before, long, 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 long ago. Now, Durin's Bane is not Gorgoroth, but a son or a spawn of Gorgoroth. And so Gandalf and Durin's Bane, it's thought, have in fact battled before in eons past, long before the elves ever sprung into Middle-earth. So, this great you shall not pass moment, dude, they fall for 10 days. It's 10 days that they're falling and fighting and eventually they, Gandalf and, and the Balrog end up in this muggy, muddy, lakey pit at the bottom of Moria and they're still battling until they're on top of a peak and they're battling and the Balrog's dead and unfortunately so is Gandalf. And spoiler, spoiler, you've had 60 years to check this one out. <laughs> Gandalf, because of all of the Astari, there's five wizards, right, in Middle-earth. He's one of them. Saruman, Radagast and the other two are off somewhere else. But Gandalf is the only one who has maintained his mission and his quest. So he gets well, for lack of a better word, reincarnated and takes Saruman's The White title from Gandalf the Grey and he becomes Gandalf the White. So this battle that he went on for 10 whole days, he's reborn as something completely different. He is himself once again, of course, but a better, purer, more powerful version, if not, in fact, a little bit more playful, which is really quite beautiful as part of one of Gandalf's characters. And so that to me, my brother, that 10-day battle as they're falling, falling and falling, and Gandalf finally bests his timeless, scary foe, he gets reborn. This is the reason I've chosen that, because at the end of the rivalry, an enormous transformation happens, and Gandalf becomes, he's basically Jesus. I mean, you know, if you kind of think about it, he comes back and, you know, he's gone for 10 days though. Jesus only gone for three, right? So who's the cooler comeback sort of guy? Well, it's definitely Gandalf, if you ask me. But, um, and then that's an interesting thing. And I just wanted to point out, that's all I'm going to say on it. Cause I can nerd out for that. I know all the names and the years and you name it. Lord of the Rings is the second highest selling book of all time. The highest selling book of all time is the Bible. So, you know, you can pick and choose your mythologies. I choose Lord of the Rings. You get similar <laughs> archetypes, similar things happen, and but it's a story of hope against all evil. And that's hero's why journey, this is so brother. pointed. It's the hero's exactly. journey. Give me, give me, give me, give me some of that in the old uh, Bible, and I will be more impressed. But. Sorry, it doesn't really cut the mustard. There's no wizards, really. I could see you rocking around with that on a T-shirt. You know, I choose <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Wow, what a deep cut. And thank you for that. Like, oh, well, it's, thank you it, for listening. Again, it's it's alluded to in the Silmarillion. You know, and I remember chowing through all of all of the other books and sort of engaging with the Silmarillion a little bit later because I found it read a bit more like a historical textbook than a story. You've you've absorbed more of that than me, and I, and I love that. I mean, not since Bill and Ted's bogus journey have we seen such a deep, you know. 
uh, falling down a hole. Like, you know, this is a totally deep hole. <laughs> they fall down this hole, man, and they're having a rumble, an epic rumble. Well, they take themselves out of time and space, basically, when they're falling. It, In fact, and I looked this up, the, the amount of time it takes between the battle and uh, Gandalf returning as Gandalf the White is 10 days. That's, yes. He's gone some time. But, yes, it was an eternal fall. That's an amazing right. thing. And to any listeners out there, if I called um, the Lord of Balrogs uh, Gorgoroth before, then I'm really sorry. It's not true. His name is Gothmog, which is okay. also a great name. Just to yeah. reiterate, to make sure that I'm on the money here. Gothmog, Lord of the if Balrogs. If I ever have another son, Gothmog for sure. Gothmog, beautiful name. Yeah. Sauron's a good name. Batman. Yeah. I don't know why you didn't yeah. name your son Batman, but you know. So, dude, I guess what I'm trying to get at, because the whole time and space dementiality thing is 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 obviously a regular topic of our discussion. Um, yeah, I mean, how long do you think it takes an ancient being to be momentarily forgetful of its own name? That's what I think is most beautifully. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Like, like bear with I'm me. I'm listening. That's what I think is most beautifully portrayed cinematically by Sarian, 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 is that he's just like, yeah, that's right. You used to call me Gandalf. You used to call me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's- he had died. He'd been reincarnated and forgotten. But so eternity in that regard is death, my brother. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he's, just, he's just gone and, yeah. and just come back with the upgrade. And, yeah. you know, such an interesting being and so many parallels to so many traditional stories. He has the potentiality to impact the world so much more than he does. And there's an intentionality, again, to go, no, I can't. I can't mess with self-determination of these people. I've got to, you know what I mean? That's what I love yeah. in this in this lore, L-O-R-E. You, um, the, you, you go deep with it. And like you said, he, he's a, an ancient being. I love the fact that, yeah, much like that other book that you mentioned, this being has the power to kind of go, you know, just manifest a lot more than he does, but he's trying to get people to come to these places and that's kind of They've his got job. to earn it is the point. He could do it. He really could. He's cut from the same cloth as Sauron, for goodness sake. He does have the potential power and influence to do that, but it's not his job to do it. He's just got to see that the, the world of men will survive, and in order to do it, they need to do it by themselves. There's something really beautiful about that notion, you know? Well, again, he has fondness. He thinks, you know, he thinks the world of men and hobbits, he loves them. Like the, the true L-O-V-E word. He loves them. He's um, such fondness. And um, it's amazing. Even even when he gets upgraded to that white, it's you, you could kind of assume it's like, okay, when, when is it Saruman mm. has... You know, Saruman has that grade and kicks his ass, let's be honest, in the battle. You know, it's almost a sum. You assume now, okay, he's got that grade, so he could probably just go back and equalize dudes. <laughs> but exactly, you know, but he doesn't, you know, and it's really only when it's really only when it's almost like he's like a Taoist. He's just all about the balance. And, you know, when, when the power balance shifts to an, un, you know, ridiculously unfair, he comes in and goes, you know, no, 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 let's just keep the playing fields reasonably level. Um, yeah, dude, great. Deep cut, man. Oh. I mean, what a, oh. what, a, what a rivalry because, like you said, there's a ton of rivalries in, um, in that movie. Oh, a plethora. And we could go on and on and on about it. And 
big rivalries, small rivalries, things that aren't quite rivalries. Yeah, absolutely, my brother. Well, yep. look, I feel like we've gotten to a, a pointed, uh, pointy end of the show. Um, how are you feeling? I Look, I only really – do we want to just quickly do honourable mentions and then bail? Dude, yeah, I got a, I got a, a, a little fistload of honourable mentions here. I, I'm just happy to <laughs> name for name at you. I'm going to start. I'm going to start. I don't have a fistload. Oh, <laughs> come on, it. come on, a palmful will do. You got this. I want an honourable mention is Wolverine and Sabretooth. Wow, siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. similar adamantium skin. Say, oh, adamantium skin bones, and they've got ability to heal and all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah, dude. Powerful, unbeatable. And well against played. each other, what happens? Yeah, yeah. All right, well what you Will we alluded to it before? But I'm going to go Batman, Ra's al Ghul. Um, oh yeah, okay. It. Yeah. I don't think we could get through this episode and not mention Ra's. You know, talk talk about someone who created Batman in terms of training him. You know, creating the skill sets. And even even when I guess they decided that they were mortal enemies, he always had a constant invitation to say to the bat, "You can actually take over my position. You can marry my daughter." Even like I at any time, regardless of what we've done, if you want to switch back over to this team, you get the mantle. I think that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, that's a goodie, dude. Yeah, that's a powerful entry. I've got uh, Scorpion versus Sub Zero. Wow. Two creatures from the nether world or the nether realm, each from uh, different fighting families and have been battling for eons. And the brilliant thing about it is in the original original game in 1992, they were dressed exactly the same. One was colored yellow, the other was colored blue. One commands ice, the other commands fire. It's a perfect yin and yang juxtaposition, perfect battle. It is. And fight. So that's my guy right there. Yeah. What else do you got? Yeah. Well, I'll just refer again. Another guy we mentioned before, just definitely Doctor Who Davros. Davros needs to just get another little tips to the lid to say what, yeah, what, what, an, you know, what a rivalry there that was. What a, what a worthy, worthy foe. And I love anyone who can explore the capacity to gradually increase their volume in terms of their delivery. So by the time one minute has gone by, you're just absolutely red line screaming. <laughs> I love it, yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great, dude. Um, and, and, my final entry, a little bit uh, kiddish, I suppose, but, you know, I've played all these and I was a kid once and still kind of am, oh, is yeah. Ash from Pokemon and his timeless rival, Gary, who was given to you at the very start. And he even says to you, I'm your rival. Which Pokemon do you want? You choose the opposite and you battle. And then wow. that just happens for the rest of the time. You've always got a rival with you directly in direct competition the whole way, trying to vie for the Pokemon Cup. That's huge. Final entry. <laughs> yeah. It's huge, man. That's it is. huge. Like, I could have talked about it, but I'm 37 years old. You know, I thought I'd just give it an honorable mention, brother. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, I'm there with you. This is a safe place. We're Thank in the you. honesty Thank tree. You. We really are. Yeah, my last honourable mention, and this is this might be a bit of a tangent, but um, Robert De Niro's character and Al Pacino's character in the movie oh. Eight probably just encapsulated in that one cafe scene, yeah. you know, and just such a novel idea and probably wouldn't happen in this day and age, you know, just, no. just it's that own version of what well, not so different to your name, but it's done yeah. so much more. Oh, it's beautiful. That scene, that film. Ah. You see, the thing is that the, what was beautiful about that cafe scene was you come to that, you're allowed the freedom to come to that conclusion yourself, yeah. that they don't assume that you're an idiot and they let you meditate on and go, you know what? They've each got their codes. They're each pushing the boundaries, you know. 
Um, yeah. they're, they're quite similar. So, yeah, I just had to had to sneak that one in there, brother. And for, for those that um, haven't seen the film Heat, I recommend jumping on that. And that scene in particular, oh. just technically from behind the scenes, um, De Niro and Pacino weren't the best of friends at that time. No. And they filmed that whole scene. They were not in that together. They were not that in it together. Two different cuts and it's... <laughs> Brilliant. Once you know that brilliant seeing how how it plays out, because it's so convincing, it's brilliant. They could be there. They could have been there for hours. You wouldn't even know, but they literally weren't there together. They just couldn't do the scene together. So that's my little bit of uh, behind the scenes there. And it's also it's also amazing because in it is almost each, you know, particularly Pacino going. I'm actually almost throwing you a bone. I'm saying tap out here, man. Yeah. Like, just this is my last uh, concession. And I probably shouldn't even be doing it, but tap out, dude, because, you know, I'll I'll wet you. I'm going to finish <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. We're pretty right. much onto what you're doing, and I'm going to wet you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and dudes, thank you so very much for listening this afternoon. It's been an absolute treat chatting to you, P-Boss. Thank you, my dude. Yeah, man. That was deep. And, uh, I love it. Ah, oh, always love it. Hit us up on the Facebooks, like us, subscribe to us, donate if you even feel like it, and tell your friends. It's just been well, an you don't even treat. have to donate money. Like you know, if you wanted well, to, you don't like, have to donate like bits of parts of radios. Um, oh yeah, actually, that'd be nice. I like items more than money. Items. So yeah, things. I like. Yeah. I'm a material man in a material world. You see, so yeah. give me things, anything. Yeah. I don't give a damn. Yeah, yeah. It has totally. been a treat. We're going to see you guys next week. Keep it real. Do your best. And uh, this has been the Man Charlie and Candidate. In that order. Ciao.